Chapter Twenty of Campfire Girls in the Allegheny Mountains. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Campfire Girls in the Allegheny Mountains by Stella M. Francis. Chapter Twenty. Twelve Girls in the Mountains. Ethel Zimmerman and Ernestine Johnson fainted. All of the rest of the twelve girls who had been decoyed into the Buckholtz house by the sympathetic Mrs. Eddy were thrown into a panic, and the terror of the situation was not mollified in the least by the sudden appearance on the scene of five men. Where the men came from so suddenly was not at all clear. Undoubtedly they had been hidden somewhere, but that place could not be determined for none of the girls remembered from what direction they had made their appearance, north, south, east, west, up or down. They were just there, and that was all there was to it. The men did not look like ruffians exactly, although they were not clad in gentlemen's clothes. The girls were huddled together in the dark, scantily furnished front room, which at some time probably had served the purpose of a combined parlour and reception room. The next apartment, probably designed as a living room, was lighted by a single gas jet turned low. Ethel and Ernestine fainted in the midst of the address of warning and command from the spokesman of the plotters. This was a signal for a rally to their aid on the part of the other campfire girls, best gifted with presence of mind. Marion led this move, and was quickly assisted by Ruth Hazelton, Julietta Hyde, and Marie Crismore. No objection was offered by the men to this proceeding, as they were intelligent enough to realise that the success of their plot depended largely on a careful guard against a noisy panic that would attract attention from without. "'Somebody get some water quick,' Marion directed, as she proceeded to go through the reviving formula in which all of them had been thoroughly drilled. "'I'll get some,' Mrs. Eddy volunteered, indicating by her offer and actions that she was an efficient ally of the kidnappers. She hastened into the kitchen and soon returned with a large dipper of water.' Marion took it from her and sprinkled some of the liquid on the faces of the unconscious girls. The latter quickly recovered and sat up. But meanwhile the five men were not idle. The leader addressed the girls again with more gentle words and manner, realising, as only an intelligent criminal may do, that a confidence man's method is the best method for producing a desired illegal effect. In a degree, he was successful, attempting to reassure the captives in the following manner. Now, girls, you have nothing to fear from us if you obey orders. We don't wish to harm a hair on any of your heads. We are merely determined to get what we have set out for, and we are going to use you to help us get it. If you try to balk our purpose, you must take the consequences. Otherwise, you will suffer only such inconveniences as go naturally with the experience of being kidnapped. 
and try to realize this, that being kidnapped isn't such a terrible thing if you are in the custody of gentlemen kidnappers. That's what we are, gentlemen kidnappers. All we ask of you is that you prove yourselves to be what gentlemen kidnappers prefer above all others, namely, real ladylike prisoners. Now, he added, after a pause, during which he surveyed his audience, as if to determine the effect of his words. As soon as the two young ladies, who were so unfortunate as to make the mistake of connecting a tragic prospect with this affair, have fully recovered, we will proceed. That fellow is disguised, declared Marion in a whisper to the girls nearest her. In fact, all of them are. Observe that every one of them wears a beard, moustache, or short side whiskers. Watch their eyes and mouths, and every expression on their faces, so that we may be able to identify them if we are ever called upon to do so. Now, girls, said the spokesman with well-simulated gentleness, no more of that. We don't want to be unduly rude with you, but if there is any more whispering, we'll have to resort to measures that will make it impossible. Now, I think you are all ready, so just follow the leader, and some of us will bring up the rear. We will proceed first into the basement. Trembling, the twelve campfire girls followed two of the men down the cellar steps. It was evident to them that resistance would be worse than useless. A single blow from the fist of one of those powerful men would stun any of the girls, if it did not knock her unconscious. In fact, their captors could make quick work of them if necessary, and, cooped up as they were in this isolated prison, they could scarcely hope to send forth an effective cry of distress before they were rendered physically incapable of sounding further alarm. All of the gentlemen kidnappers were supplied with electric flashlights, with which they illuminated the cellar and revealed to their captives a hole three feet in diameter in the ground floor, and seemingly a flight of steps leading downward. Don't be scared, young ladies, advised the gentlemanly leader of the gentleman kidnappers softly. That hole is merely the mouth of an old coal mine. We will conduct you through the mine to the other end, which is concealed from public view at a distance, and there we will find four automobiles waiting for you. Lead the way, comrade kidnappers. The two headmen descended into the hole, and the girls followed Indian file. The spokesman and one other man descended last as a rear guard. One of the men remained in the cellar with Mrs. Eddy, and together they hurriedly replaced the old door over the mouth of the mine, shoveled some loose earth over this, and then covered the earth with eight or ten thicknesses of scrap lumber loosely tossed in a heap. Meanwhile the girls, guided by the lights ahead and aided by the two lights behind, which were directed helpfully along their path, made their way laboriously down the slope 
and along the many-angled gallery to the opening at the other side of Holly Hill, as the high, rounded elevation on and around which the city was built was called. Under different circumstances, undoubtedly, they would have been much interested in this experience as a subterranean exploration, and they had all the time they might need for such exploration, for the dusk of evening had not yet developed into darkness, and they had to wait in the mine over an hour before it was deemed safe to venture out with the captives. Near the opening at the foot of the bluff behind the abandoned flour mill, gags were tied tightly over the girls' mouths and their hands were bound in front of them, and they were assisted one by one down a gradual but rough incline and into the waiting machines. Snow falling in millions of huge flakes, a fact that evidently caused the kidnappers more worry than the possibility of detection by persons in the vicinity, for remarks escaped some of them relative to the importance of haste before the roads became impassable to automobiles. But the storm served them one good purpose if it menaced them in another respect. It rendered the darkness of the night more impenetrable and kept the streets almost free of pedestrians. Moreover, the plotters were well supplied with means and methods of guarding against escape or rescue. The gags and cloth manacles were so well made that one might have expected them of being products of a manual training school of burglars' wives. During the passage from the mine to the automobiles, each of the girls wore a shawl thrown over her head and pinned close in the front, thus concealing both the gags and the manacled condition of their hands. At last they were all in the machines, each of which was in charge of a driver. Three of the girls were put into each automobile, and one of the men got in with them to see that their conduct was as per schedule programme. Then the start was made. On, on they went, out into the country and along a road that Marion knew led into the heart of the mountains. She could see the dim, shadowy form of High Peak in the distance. Meanwhile, as she peered out eagerly into the darkness, with an irrational longing for rescue from some miraculous source, for this was the only kind of rescue that seemed possible under the circumstances. She kept working at the bonds about her wrists and the gag in her mouth slyly and without obvious effort, until with joy she realized that she was at least partly successful. I am certain I could shove that thing right out of my mouth and give the most piercing scream ever heard if anybody would only come along and hear me, she told herself. The snow kept on falling heavily, much to the alarm of the kidnappers and the joy of the kidnapped, but the automobiles reached the mountains before there was any serious delay. It looked indeed as if the trip would be successful from the point of view of the captors of the campfire girls. 
but at last the snow became so deep that the girls could feel that the automobiles were laboring under almost insurmountable difficulties. Marion heard several curses uttered by the chauffeur, and the man inside the car echoed them once or twice. Finally the automobile came to a full stop, and the driver could force it along no further. A consultation with all three of the men taking part was held. In the midst of their debate, something happened that changed the aspect of things almost as completely as might have been accomplished if Marion's dream of a miraculous rescue had been realized. Other persons were on the scene, and they were talking to the driver, inquiring if they could be of any assistance. "'We're a patrol of Boy Scouts,' one of the new arrivals said. "'We've lost our way, but that doesn't need hinder our helping you out of your scrape. "'Maybe you can direct us how to find our way back.' Marion never felt a more intense thrill in her life than she felt at the sound of that voice. She looked out of the window and saw a group of eight or ten boys, each of them carrying a gun close to the automobile. With an effort that had behind it all of the power of the most joyous impulse of her life, she swung her bound clinched fists right through the pane of glass, pushed the gag from her mouth, and shouted, Clifford, Clifford, this is Marion. All of us girls are being kidnapped by these men. Shoot these rascals and shoot to kill. End of chapter 20